Uh, before we get into the word, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, Lord, you are the great, mighty, and awesome God. And what an honor. Uh, Lord, what do we say to these things? That if you be for us, who can be against us? And Lord, we just pray now that uh, your word, as it goes forth and it's full of truth and life and spirit, that it would not be by might, uh, it would not be by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. And so, Lord, we love you. We lay tonight at your feet. May you, Lord Jesus, be magnified. In Jesus' name we pray. Saint said, amen. 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 They're joining the house of the Lord. Amen? Good, good. I just want to make sure you guys are here. I know it's late. Um, so tonight will be a little bit different from our, our typical line upon line, even though we have line upon line in front of you. Uh, I will more be kind of gleaning from the actual text, uh, but I've been just strongly led to really go into like a deep dive on the Holy Spirit. And so I've been convicted. It's been like three or four weeks of me in it, uh, taught it to our, our students here. And so it's just been like an ongoing thing for me. And so the Holy Spirit's like, well, if you get up there, you're going to give it to them too. So I said, okay, I surrender. All right. That's a good thing. So um, known as the forgotten God, the Holy Spirit, most neglected and protected member of the Trinity. It's been said, uh, A.W. Tozer says this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. Saints, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there are three types of people. There are the uninformed, the misinformed, and the well-informed. The uninformed are those who really don't have any idea what or is the Holy Spirit. In it, I know Jesus, Holy Spirit, maybe this mystic force, this kind of idea, this, this element, this kind of the dove, right? We have the hats with the dove. When they think of the Holy Spirit, is it Casper, the friendly ghost? They really don't know much about the Holy Spirit, right? That's why we call them uninformed, okay? Paul says, I, want you to, I do not want you to be uninformed. The misinformed are kind of on the other side where uh, the Holy Spirit is this emotion, right? It's this spiritual genie. I can rub his spiritual belly and I can do all these backflips and miracles and fly through the roof and all these other things. But yet if I don't feel anything, then Holy Spirit must not be there. And then there's the well-informed, those who are right next to the Holy Scriptures and are under the understanding of what the Scriptures teach about the person of the Holy Spirit, that it is not a, he is not an it, he is not a force. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity of the triune God. I know some of you guys say, but Pastor Camper, the Trinity, not in the Bible. You're right, but neither is the Bible in the Bible, right? So these are words that we use to describe what Scripture has revealed to us. Trinity simply means triunity. So the one being of God is in unity with the three co-equal, co-distinct, co-eternal persons, namely Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And let's be honest, because we're in the church, and if you're not in church, you still should be honest. We have used many, many examples on trying to explain the Holy Spirit, and they just fall short. They do. We've used the, egg, the water steam and ice. We've used the eggshell and yolk. we use the clover leaf. Just all of them are ant. Because this is an eternal doctrine. 
And so we try to explain it and we explain it away. And so we would stick with what scripture tells us. There was a quote that says, every divine action begins from the father, proceeds through the son and is completed by the Holy Spirit. And so when I explain the, whole, the, the, the triune God, I just leave it like this. The father sent the son and the son sent the Holy Spirit. And I'm okay with that. Amen, saints? Are y'all with me? Okay, that is the beautiful picture of the triune God seen in the gospel, the good news. So I want to tell you guys a quick story about uh, 2005, not that long ago, but for some of you guys, it was. Um, most of you don't know, or some of you do know, I used to play college football way back when. We're talking about 18, 19 years ago, all right? And so I actually got the honor of going, uh, earning a scholarship and playing at a university in South Dakota. And I got to go with my high school quarterback who I played Little League baseball with. And I, he was my quarterback in high school when I went to Santa Clara. He was my quarterback when I went to Ventura College. And then we both got a scholarship to play football out in a university in South Dakota many moons ago where I met my wife. So that was probably the best thing that happened. But I did everything with my quarterback. We worked out together, we trained together. Uh, when people were out smoking and drinking at night, we were out in the gym working out. Uh, we loved the game of football. He held me accountable when it came to training. I held him accountable when it came to the game. And we were just passionate and enthusiasm. And everyone knew, if you saw Josh, you saw Jimmy. If you saw Jimmy, you saw Josh. We were two peas in a pod. We were always together. And our passion for the game was like no other. We were associated with each other and the game of football. Well, you leave and you go, you leave mom and dad's house and you go out on your own, things happen. And so there's something happened in our relationship and uh, we lived together my first semester there and then something happened and we kind of went our separate ways, even though we were still cool, but our relationship, there was a strain in it. And then I began to notice that my love, passion and enthusiasm for the game was no longer there. That the, the game that I love so much that I trained for and my, my buddy, it, it was no longer there. We motivated each other. We shared the same passion, but because uh, of our relationship strain, I don't know, at the time I didn't realize it. And then suddenly I found myself in a state of discouragement. Anybody here been in discouragement? I'm the only one? Okay, let's be honest in the church house, all right. Um, and it wasn't that I was no longer an athlete. It wasn't that I was no longer a football player because I was very much those two things but I had no longer had the motivation, the zeal, the excitement, and the passion I once had. And then it hit me. I realized that my love for the game was directly tied to my relationship with my best friend. My passion, my excitement, my enthusiasm was centered around this relationship with my best friend. Now, when I think about this relationship, it reminds me about how important our relationship with the Holy Spirit is. Because your relationship, your passion, your love for Jesus, your zeal for Christ is directly connected to your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so for those of you who take note, Zechariah 4, 6 says this. So he said unto me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Saints, it's been said that the human spirit fails except where the Holy Spirit fails. I'll say that again. 
the human spirit fails except where the Holy Spirit fails. And that simply means that we can't do this on, on our own strength, on our own power, on our own might. It's going to be directly correlated to your intimacy with the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Y'all with me? So based off of that, I actually stand here today before you as one who has tried very often to do this by my own might, to do this by my own power. So therefore, I actually stand before you today as a failure in many areas. A failure as a husband, my own strength. Failure as a father, if my kids are here, they tell you. Failure as a pastor, failure as a teacher, and a failure as a Christian. Because on my own strength and my own might, the result will always fall short. And sometimes I'll be honest with you guys, I wonder, would it be better if I just watered it down a little bit? Stop trying to go through all the, every line of the Bible. Would it just be easier to not do that? After all, you guys have live stream, Bible apps, five Bibles per household, tons of podcasts, YouTube channels, endless Bible resources. I often ask, would it even matter? Would anyone even notice? Now, why do I say this? Am I throwing a pity party? Do I need affirmations? Not at all. At this point, I honestly don't know as I examine through the text and I examine the Holy Spirit in relationship with the Holy Spirit. I don't know within the past three or four years how much has been me or how much has been the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure. But I'll tell you this, like many of us in here, hope you be honest, I have personally fell victim and pray to the gospel of try harder, to the gospel of do more, to the gospel of you're strong enough. And admittedly, over the past four years, I've gotten increasingly busy. I've had three kids in six years. It's <laughs> fruitful, right? It's a good thing. Praise God. It's a good thing. But I have to admit, my Christian walk at times and seasons has become ritualistic, repetitive, mundane, and at times burdensome and dry. Anyone else with me? Amen. Amen? So why do I share this story? Well, I share this story because it's a lot like our relationship with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. We started off well, excited, passionate, zeal, zealous, yet something is missing. I know I'm saved, but Bible every day, devotionals, podcasts, Sunday and midweek, it's a little too much. My home life really isn't the best, but I pray to God and nothing's really changed. I actually find more connection in just being away and in my own space. I was already baptized. I go to church on Sundays, midweek, women's, youth, all those other things though. Being on time for worship, really? It's not that serious. Or maybe I'm trying my hardest to live for Jesus. I just can't seem to overcome my sin, my fear, my anxiety, my fear of rejection, my desire to fit in, my desire to be connected. I just feel like it's so repetitive, routine, and mundane. Hey, I think I'm actually doing fine. I go to church, I read my Bible, 
I have no ongoing sin I'm struggling with. Probably lying if you say that. I don't watch porn. I don't even gossip. I'm not depressed or anxious. My walk is doing great, but not much excitement, not much zeal, not much passion. It's a bit routine. Something's definitely missing. And I know that matches some or not most of us in here. A man by the name of Vance Havner said this, we'll move this world not by criticism of it, nor by conformity to it, but by exploding within it, lives ignited by the spirit of the living God. Change comes when men and women filled with the Holy Spirit walk according to their calling. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about the Holy Spirit, I cannot help but to think about the book of Acts, right? It was said of the early church in Acts that they turned the world upside down, but in reality, it was right side up. During the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, the disciples depended on, relied on, and were directed by Jesus himself. They got everything from Jesus. But it was when he ascended into heaven, the book of Acts records them depending upon, relying upon, being directed by the Holy Spirit. And so Acts is better titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit rather than Acts of the Apostles. For those of you who take notes, the Holy Spirit is mentioned over a hundred times in the Bible. Over 40 of those are in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over. And some would say that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit or some would say that was the additional filling of the Holy Spirit. The reality is, it said they were filled over and over. So I'm just going to say they were filled with the Holy Spirit over and over, just like the Bible says, all right? May not be confusing. Now they knew the Holy Spirit so well. They expected to hear from the Holy Spirit. They spoke with the Holy Spirit. They said things like, it seemed so good to the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit said, and we heard the Holy Spirit. They were so connected and in fellowship and in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And then they were filled and spoke with great boldness without fear. Remember Peter, who vehemently cursed while he denied Jesus? He went from that to boldly proclaiming that there is salvation in no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Peter went from lopping off someone's ear in anger to simply saying, silver and gold have I none. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. You guys remember Saul of Tarsus? He went from persecuting the church, looking to murder Christians and put them under the jail, holding the clothes of the first martyr of the church, Stephen, to pursuing anyone who claimed the name of Christ and then to being the apostle Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Or I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God into salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was Saul turned Paul. One reason, the Holy Spirit. It was undeniable in the book of Acts that the disciples and those who the Holy Spirit had poured out upon, it was undeniable that the witness of those around him said, we cannot deny that these Men have been with Jesus. It was undeniable, 
Are y'all with me? It was undeniable. They saw them, they're around them, they heard them, and it was as if Jesus never left. Ministry went on business as usual. And he used human agency to do that through the Holy Spirit. But here's the question, saints. Is that us? Is that Calvary Chapel? Do they come across us and say, oh no, we know those Calvary Chapel folk, especially Conejo Valley, they've been with Jesus. Does your work know you've been with Jesus? At home, is it known that you've been with Jesus? Those who are still in school, is it evident that you've been with Jesus? Remember, whatever you're filled with is what you're led by. See, the Holy Spirit is the first person of the Trinity to be revealed in scripture. Well, how so? Glad you asked. Genesis 1, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. See, the Holy Spirit turned scared, cowardly fishermen into bold, courageous witnesses for Jesus. The disciples were completely transformed from the inside out. It's been said that when the Spirit of God gets a hold of a person, they have two choices, speak or die. Now, I remember the prophet Jeremiah They said, if you speak another word in the name of the Lord, we're going to stone you. And he said, yeah, you know what? I'm good. I'm not saying anything else. And the Bible records him saying that the word of the Lord was like shut up in his bones that he got weary and he could not hold it in. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. When the the disciples spoke and actually filled with the Holy Spirit, they said, we can't help but to speak and declare what we have seen and what we know. I'm either going to speak or you're just going to have to kill me, right? That is the power of and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, saints, while salvation guarantees you heaven, the Holy Spirit brings heaven down to us. Ladies and gentlemen, God loves each of us as if there's only one of us. But one of the evidences outside of the cross of Calvary of God's love is his spirit poured out into our lives. But the question is, do you know him? Because you can't know the whole Jesus without having a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen, y'all with me? Okay, I'm about to give you guys a fire hose right now. Right? So the Holy Spirit is God, Acts chapter five. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit helps us pray, Romans 8. The Holy Spirit seals us. The Holy Spirit can be quenched, resisted, and insulted. The Holy Spirit gives us those gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit speaks. He talks. The Holy Spirit gives us power and boldness to proclaim the word of the Lord and to stand firm in truth. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every single born again believer. The Holy Spirit makes us aware of sin. He convicts us of sin. He convinces us of what's right and what's not right. The Holy Spirit comforts us, points us to Jesus and conforms us into likeness of the image of Christ. I'm not done. Holy Spirit's name, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is mentioned 96 times in the Bible. The Spirit of the Lord, 28 times. The Spirit of God, 26 times. The Eternal Spirit, the Helper, 
the comforter, the holy one, the Lord, the spirit of wisdom. Give me some of that, please. The spirit of truth, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of counsel and knowledge, the spirit of your father, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of glory, the spirit of grace, the spirit of holiness. This is all titles and names given to the Holy Spirit. Are y'all still with me? Okay, I know I gave you a fire hose, but these are all biblical realities on the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, whom the apostle Peter said regarding prophecy, said holy men of God spoke as they were carried and moved along by the Holy Spirit. For some reason, this has been a forgotten, a forgotten reality in the church. We don't speak that much of the Holy Spirit anymore. But yet through the early church, that was the main function. They didn't function outside of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder today, not necessarily saying our church, but just as a body of Christ, where's the disconnect in the person of the Holy Spirit? Saints, we don't see any recorded miracles from Jesus until he was baptized and led by the Holy Spirit. So as we get into our text, we're obviously starting in the middle of the text. And so the apostle John writes the gospel simply so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you may have a life in his name. Um, John records the final discourse in chapters 14 through 17. And so ultimately scholars would call this the upper room discourse. That's not a term in the Bible. It's just something they've coined so you can find out where this section in the scripture is. All right. These are Jesus's final words to his disciples before his crucifixion. He had just washed their feet. He had gave them a command to love and be known by their love and then he warned them of the one who will betray them and deny him and let them know of his coming death. Now, someone's last words are extremely important. Those of you here are parents, your last words to your kids before they go to work or school or go off to college, wherever it may be. Those of you who are married, your last words to your spouse before you go off somewhere, your last words are always very, very important. Imagine you've been with Jesus for three years. You saw the miracles. You experienced everything he was doing. You heard the word. You saw the power. You have a strong relationship with him. He's the most important person in your life, which he should be. And then he's having a conversation with you telling him, I'm going away. You're not going to see me anymore. I'm not going to be here anymore. You're, you're going to deal with persecution. They're going to throw you out in the synagogues. They're going to kill you for my name's sake. And I'm going to be gone right? Imagine how you may feel or how the disciples may have been feeling at that time, right? And he says, sorrow has filled your hearts. The most dreadful feeling for the disciples is being alone without their master, their rabbi, their Lord. But saints, the good news is because of the Holy Spirit, you and I are never alone, never. The reality of the Holy Spirit brings to life the promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That is the reality of the Holy Spirit, saints. Imagine what the disciples must have been feeling. But imagine these words, that I will come to you, that I will be with you, the comfort that it should have brought them. Now for context, in John 14, Jesus comforts the disciples and tells them he's going to prepare a place for them and be back. 
And this is where he starts really honing in on the person of the Holy Spirit to them. They've seen the ministry. They've seen everything. It's about 24 hours before the crucifixion. And so he's emphasizing this person of the Holy Spirit, which to them is kind of a, a mystery. It hasn't really yet been revealed, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He tells them he's the only way to the Father and that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to them and the Holy Spirit will comfort them. And then in John 15, he gives that famous vine and branches analogy. He tells them that they would need to remain connected to Jesus in order to bear fruit. And the only way they will be able to do that, take a guess, the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. He tells them love one another and again, emphasizes the Holy Spirit. And then in today's text, he warns them not to allow their grief of him leaving to cause them to fall away. He expounds on the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will do. So that's where we pick up today in the text. Okay, you guys at John 16? Y'all still with me? You gonna check out? Praise God. God's good. So I'll read the full text. We'll pray and then we'll dig in. We'll start at verse five. Verse five says this, but now I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come and he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you all things that are the father, all things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Father, I thank you for the bread of life. And so Lord, we pray that as we expound on the text and your word, that it would be you and not me. For Lord, it's your words that they are truth, they are life, and they are spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we see in the first part of the text, the first point is the Holy Spirit is Jesus's personal replacement here on earth. Verse five and seven, Jesus reminds them again, he's going away to the Father. Now he's been saying this for a while and they'd ask him, where are you going? What's going on? Where are you gonna go? What, what, can we go with you? And they're like, no, you can't go with me right now. And so now he says it and they don't even ask him where he's going because they're sorrowful that all these things are gonna happen and you're not gonna be here with us? I can't believe this. How are we gonna function? What are we gonna do? Are we still gonna do miracles? Right, you can imagine thinking that, right? Are we still gonna be able to have the power without you with us? Jesus continues to expound that he's gonna go away. He's gonna go to the cross. And saints, here's a reality. The cross has the final word, amen? You, you guys get what I'm throwing down? You picking it up? The cross has the final word. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Your mistakes don't define you. 
Your family line doesn't define you. Your failures and successes don't define you. What people say about you don't define you. The cross of Calvary defines us, saints. Hear me clearly. Every drop of the Savior's blood, every drop screams and speaks, I love you with an everlasting love. And I proved it on the cross of Calvary. When I think about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, one of the gospels records him having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And they were talking about the cross of Calvary. How important it is, what was about to happen, what Jesus was going to accomplish. I don't know about you, but Jesus should have crushed me, but he died for me anyway. And I'm thankful for the cross of Calvary. Saints, this is why we take communion. While the whole world drinks to forget, we drink to remember. And may we never forget the cross of Calvary. Y'all still with me? Amen. In verse six, Jesus emphasizes their heart of sorrow. Again, imagine you've been with Jesus for three years or the most important person in your life, whoever you want to imagine that to be right now, right? And I want you to imagine they're having this conversation with you. I'm going away and you won't see me again, right? And sorrow has filled their heart. And when I'm going away, you're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. The Bible says that all, not a few, not some, all who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution of some sort, all. And so Jesus is emphasizing he's going away. How would you react? I think about the epistle John. John recounts his experience with Jesus while he was here on earth. And he says this in 1 John, he says, that which is from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life, or rather the word that brings life. This same Jesus that they adored so much, they cared for so much, depended on so much, is now leaving and sorrow has filled their hearts. That's where they are. And then in verse seven, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. By the way, Jesus always tells the truth. Holy Spirit always tells the truth, just by the way. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That doesn't make sense. It's better for Jesus to go away. It's better that the most impactful person in your life is not there anymore. It's better, it's to your advantage. That word advantage means profitable, better for your good. Why? So you're telling me it's better for him to be scourged, to be wrongfully tried, to be put on the cross, to die and rise again. It's better for him to do that and then to sit into heaven, sit on the right hand of the throne it's better for him to do that than to remain here on earth. Why? Because the universal invisible presence of the Holy Spirit in the church is better than, it's more blessed than the visible presence of Christ in the church. Why? Because you imagine, remember the crowds? When the time Jesus, they heard about it. Some of the gospel records just say, hey, don't tell anybody, right? I did, don't tell anybody, okay? But remember the crowds they came and then Jesus had to get in a boat and go because the crowds would come and they'd throng them. Imagine that you need to see Jesus. Well, good luck getting through the crowd, right? Traveling hundreds of miles. Maybe you might see him. Maybe you might not. Maybe you might get near the hem of his garment. Maybe you might not. Would you get an opportunity? Who knows, right? 
See, Jesus is saying that's no longer going to be a problem. It's, it's no longer going to be an issue getting to Jesus, hearing from Jesus, being with Jesus. So it's better that he goes away because of what God's divine plan through the gospel has ordained through the sending of the Holy Spirit. Christ here on earth, to an extent, was limited, saints, because he was in physical flesh, right? Philippians 2 talks about how he humbled himself and became a man, right? He's always been God, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible says, right? With the Holy Spirit, the physical presence and the spirit of Jesus comes to live inside each and every believer. And I don't think I can say that enough. Everyone sitting in here, if you're a professing believer and you've been born again, you have the physical presence of the living God. See, back then in the tabernacle where the, the, the glory of God overshadowed the mercy seat and they had to stand back, right? That's no more. That veil's been torn. That earthly tabernacle is gone. We're the tabernacle of the living God. The Holy Spirit dwells in each, inside, each and every one of us. He's not far away. He's near. In our hearts, the word of faith, which we preach, the Holy Spirit. Wherever the Holy Spirit, wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes. Remember that, Okay. This is how the church spreads globally and not just in one region. This is why when Acts 1.8, he says, you, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. That's how the gospel spreads globally, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus then calls the Holy Spirit the helper. This is very important, saints. Some versions will say the comforter. But if we look back, for those of you who take notes for context, you look back at John 14, 15, and 16. So John 14, verses 15 and 16. It reads this. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. That word another means one of the same kind. Exactly the same kind. Okay? So it's, it's not uh, a replica that just looks like it, Right? It's not a different type of apple. It's, it's the exact same kind, but in the form of the spirit. So he says, I'm gonna send you another helper that he may abide with you forever. He is God and he brings the mind of God and the presence and power of God and the life of God's children. We have so many resources here on earth through the access and power of the Holy Spirit. But I'll be honest, Sometimes we forget. You don't have to wait in line anymore, saints. You don't have to travel land and sea to talk to Jesus. You don't have to climb Mount Sinai to access God. You don't have to worry about getting around the crowds. I will not leave you. I will come to you. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now back to our chapter on 16. The helper or comfort, that word means parakletos. It's a Greek word. And it means one who is called along someone's side to be near to help by consoling, encouraging, or mediating on behalf of another, a companion or an advocate. I love that. Because I talk to so many people, you know what they tell me? God is far away. God can't be near. If he's near, why do I go through this? If he's near, why are innocent children being trafficked? If he's near, why are all these drug issues, the suicide rate? Why do people feel so depressed? If he's near, why, 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 right? Well, the reality is we live in a broken system. That's an easy answer for us as Christians. 
we know through scripture that God did not create the world this way. But we also know through scripture, he initiated a rescue plan through his holy and precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to continue that plan through you and through me. And so when I get to talk to these people, I tell you, God is very near. And it's through the person of the Holy Spirit that you get to know and experience Jesus and the Father. Amen. This is the message. God is never far away. And so the Holy Spirit is near us. He's our advocate. He encourages us. He consoles us. We look on your outline. He's the same essence of Jesus. He helps us and he comforts us. I don't know about you. Have any of you guys tried to do this Christian walk on your own? How did that go? How's it going? Right? It, it doesn't go very well. Right? Many failures. Right? You wake up. I'm going to try to do better today. Good luck. Right? I'm going to read about every day. I'm going to, okay, good luck. Right? More power to you. Without the Spirit, it's impossible. It is impossible. This is why, saints, the Bible says we cry, Abba, Father, because that means daddy's near. That's the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I have a brother in Christ who works as a paraeducator. You guys know what a paraeducator is? Okay, paraeducator. So they're a, an educator in a classroom that's near students who have challenges, right? And so he works with very challenging students and he's a para, they call him a para educator. And he tells me about his days. He's like, all day, I'm like chasing around students. I'm everywhere they go, I'm there. I follow them. They go outside, I'm there with them. Sometimes they spit on me. Sometimes they throw things at me. But I'm called to be near them no matter the challenge, right? And he comes home and he's exhausted, right? If you can imagine, okay? And these are, these are high school students, but they're very, very challenging. His goal is to get them in an environment and a state so that they can learn, Right? Well, the Holy Spirit is very much like that, except he doesn't get exhausted. I thank God he doesn't get exhausted, right? That he neither sleeps nor slumbers, right? That he does not get tired, but the Holy Spirit is very near us, okay? We get to feel the presence of God. Now, I think about my brother in Christ who's a paraeducator, he's exhausted, but that idea of him going everywhere the student goes, following them around, making sure that they're safe, making sure that they get back in the classroom so they can learn. It's a lot like us, right? <laughs> we, we, we have a hard time learning and listening. And the Holy Spirit is like telling us, hey, not that way. Hey, go this way. Hey, don't do that. Hey, Jesus is over here, not over there, right? Hey, don't choose that friend. They're not gonna point you to Christ over and over and he never gets weary. And this is why it was important for Jesus to leave. So Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he's our power. He's near. He comforts us. And in him, we find rest for our souls. And so we look at verse eight, it says this, it says, and when he has come, he calls him the helper. He says, when he has come, he, notice the, the masculine pronouns, right? This, this pronouns mean something in the Bible. Praise God. Notice this, okay? He, when he comes, right? He's a person. When he comes. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judging. Outline the Holy Spirit brings conviction over our need for Jesus and sin. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who convinces us, you need Jesus. You can't do this on your own. You're not going to make it. You're going to be miserable. Keep bumping your head, right? Keep ignoring your conscience. Keep going in that direction, and this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit brings that both to non-believers and believers alike. For the non-believers, their conscience. For the believer, it's the presence of God in your life. This word convict in context, it means to convince or accuse of either righteousness or something that's not right, right? In the sense of a court term. The sin ultimately is unbelief. The only way someone goes to hell is that a power drive through the grace of God over the cross of Calvary and they get there by remaining in blatant unbelief. And so when I said the Holy Spirit is the most neglected but protected member of the Trinity, remember what Jesus says, if you speak a word on the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven of you, eh, right? But if you speak on blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it's done. It's done. Because the Holy Spirit is the one, every breath you take is reminding you of Jesus and your need for him. And so many people, broad is the way, that leads to destruction. Many people, unfortunately, saints, there'll be more people in hell than there are in heaven. Right? And it's sad. But here's what they won't be able to say. I didn't know. No one told me anything. I had no idea. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to solve all that. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to bring a level of conviction that brings accountability, right? He says the Holy Spirit's going to come, and when he comes, and he has, he is going to convince and accuse the world of the sin of unbelief. And for believers, he's going to make things very, very clear. And so I often look at it as the gospel has been said that it's a romance story. You guys remember, if you guys want to go way back elementary school, first crush, right? Say back then we would get flower cards and candy, right? You had a crush and you wanted to show your affection for that person and then you'd give them flower cards. You might write a little something in the card. I don't know how your guys' poetry skills were back then, but you write a little something in the card, right? And you say, hey, I like this person, right? I like you, right? And then eventually if they didn't like you, that was my case, it happens, it is what it is. Jesus loves me and I'm okay with that. So they end up not liking you and then eventually what you do if you really care for them, you leave them alone. You say, okay, you, you don't want me, you don't, Right? and then you pull away. And then they deal with a person who's not as qualified as you are, right? And they, and, they gotta, and they gotta live with that, right? Well, in the same way, I believe God does the same thing with the gospel, right? Through creation, conscience, and the gospel. Is that God through creation speaks that he is the creator. Nobody goes out and says, oh, that's God, I just created itself, right? No one comes to the building and says, oh, it just came out of nothing. No one in their right mind does that. Every building needs a builder and creation needs a creator. So God speaks to us in creation, our conscience, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of it speaks, one, his majesty, but two, his love for you and I, right? Are you guys with me still? Okay, the Holy Spirit's making it very clear that believer, non-believer alike, you will not be able to have an excuse that you didn't know. The Holy Spirit makes it clear. The sin of unbelief is rejecting God's flowers, cards, and candy in creation, conscience, and Christ. And the Holy Spirit's going to make it very, very clear. Now, when he says of righteousness, this is real righteousness, moral excellence, perfection. 
that none of us in here can attain. And for those of you who are trying, you say you have, I'll make it very clear. The Bible says, no, not one. So if you're a one, that's you. No, not one. All right. There's no one righteous, no one good, no, not one, except otherwise specified. And that's in Jesus, right? He's the perfect one. He's the righteous one. He's the holy one. And he's the only one, right? And that's why through the Holy Spirit, Peter says, there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. His righteousness was proved when God accepted his sacrifice and he ascended into heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. He's a convicted of righteousness that I am the true righteous one. I am the true standard of righteousness. See, saints, the standard of Christianity is not Christians. It's not us, right? Although, sadly, we misrepresent the cross of Calvary a lot. I come across students that I teach in Bible class, like, yeah, my experiences with the Christians haven't been very well, right? A lot of them are arrogant. A lot of them are Bible dumpers. A lot of them haven't really shown love to the LGBT community, right? They hate gay people. And that's kind of the message that, sadly, the outside world is getting from us a lot. But I just simply tell them, hey, I don't know if you knew, but the standard for Christianity is not Christians. It's Christ, right? It's Jesus, Always has been, always will be. Now, should we reflect his light? Absolutely, right? Not perfectly, but hopefully progressively. And so Jesus is the righteous one. And he proved that, that God accepted his sacrifice on the cross when he ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand next to the Father. So saints, the Holy Spirit is the only member of the Trinity that is actually physically here on earth with us. That's how God is omnipresent, right? Now, can God go anywhere? Of course he can. Try to figure that all out. Just You're going to get a headache and a stomachache at the same time. Okay? He's omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. He sent the Holy Spirit here. He's also on the throne, right? I mean, I, you can figure it out when you get to heaven, all right? But we know the Holy Spirit is physically here with us. And then he says that of judgment because of the cross of Calvary, Satan ultimately was condemned when Jesus died and rose again. That Satan's time had begun. It's been said the cross of Calvary is where mercy and truth meet together and righteousness and peace have kissed. And that's from Psalm 89. When it says a conviction, the spirit does not merely accuse people of sin. He brings them to an inescapable sense of guilt so that they realize their shame and their helplessness before God. And that's what conviction does. Is you come to like, oh, I can't turn anywhere else, Right? I'm helpless before God. It reminds me of the prodigal son, right? And when he, until, until, it wasn't until he got to the pig slough. And some of us need to go into pig slough, unfortunately, right? Amen? Parents, for that, that prodigal, sometimes they got to hit the pig slough. Because it wasn't until he got the pig slough where he said, like, I'm cool just being a servant in my father's house. I had everything over there. I'm in pig slough now. Like, anything is better than this. He went from give me the goods to make me a servant, Right? But the pig sloth, the Holy Spirit will, will put you in a position where it's inescapable guilt so that he can condemn you? No, so that you'll turn and repent, right? When I think of the prophet Isaiah, right? The Bible says, I think it was Isaiah 6. And it says, when he got in the presence of the Lord, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in a, people, in a land of unclean people, right? When he was in the presence of the Lord, 
the holiness of God, reality hit him like a ton of bricks. The spirit of the Lord hit him like a ton of bricks. That is conviction. I remember recently, and I, I know I heard the Holy Spirit speak. Now, for some of you like, well, I don't know. What does the Holy Spirit sound like? Usually it sounds like your own voice in your head, okay? That's why you need to discern whether it's of truth of, or of error, right? A few days ago, I heard the Holy Spirit speak very clearly. Go pray for her and give her a hug. I'll be honest. I was like, no, I'm busy. I can't do it right now, right? I felt like I was talking to myself in a sense, but I heard it very clear. And the person walked by me again. I didn't do it. Then later on, a few hours later, happened again. I didn't do it, right? No, please, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I just kept, and the Holy Spirit speaking very clearly. I found out two days later that it was the anniversary of her husband's death. And I was convicted. I was like, yo. I knew I heard the Holy Spirit speaking clearly. Go pray for her. And then I'm thinking like, she's like you're, you know, you're supposed to be the pastor. Like you didn't even, you know, like, and I, I was convicted. I couldn't escape it. I wasn't condemned, but I was convicted that the Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly to just go simply pray. And again, I didn't, know, I didn't know that, but the Holy Spirit did. And I just ignored him. I'll do it later. Nobody, I'll do it later, right? Because yeah. the Holy Spirit can be resisted. I did that. And I was convicted. Inescapable guilt. You know, now I'm, I am going to eventually talk to her. I just, I'm waiting for time to lapse, okay? But that was just an example of how the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. And that wasn't anything inherently evil. I just neglected the voice, right, of the Lord. I just neglected. I was thoroughly convicted. But saints, conviction means we're convinced or accused of sin. And I think of King David. Now, obviously not right away, if you guys are familiar with the David and Bathsheba, right? Now imagine, how would you like to have your most heinous sin recorded in an ancient document for people to read for thousands of years. I would not want that, okay? But thanks be to God that God says David is a man after God's own heart, right? Like, like thanks be to God. But when you see and you read what happened, right? It was heinous. It was a slow slide. It was a slippery slide. It starts with, and then David didn't go out to war, right? And then he was up at noon and he just happened to see a woman bathing. And then one of his men says, he says, hey, go get her. He said, isn't that, uh, isn't that Uriah's wife, right? Go get her. Just ignored it. And then we know the story. It leads to this, right? And then we see that pretty much for almost a whole year, David's chilling, right? I'm not going to say he wasn't convicted. I believe he was, but he's pretty much chilling. Like, I, I pretty much got away with it, right? And then Nathan comes. Because see, here's what happens. God will often give you an opportunity to confess sin privately, Right? before he has to expose it publicly. And I'm a firm believer that no one falls publicly who hasn't felt privately first. Amen? And so the Holy Spirit was moving on, on King David, and he just ignored the Holy Ghost. He ignored the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is when you ignore the Holy Spirit, guess what? God will start sending people to you or animals, right? Balaam, don't forget Balaam, numbers, send him a donkey, okay? He ignored the Holy Spirit, and then he sent him an animal, because that's the only, person that he, only thing he would heed to, all right? But in this case, he sends a person, the prophet Nathan. And I love the way the Lord laid it out. Nathan gives them this parable. Hey, David, I need you to judge this. David's like, yeah, I'm a man. I judge things. Not so much, David, right? Thinking that he's got away with his sin, like some of us. Thinking that it's all good, okay? And, and the prophet Nathan tells him, okay, say, hey, I got this, this, this guy that has a hunter sheep. 
And then he goes and takes from the guy who has one sheep. And like David's anger is aroused. No, how dare him do it? That man must die. Thou or the man. <gasps> like his soul pretty much falls out of his chest, right? But from that, we get Psalm 32, Psalm 51. And David says, against you and only you have I sinned. That is conviction, right? Creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And most of all, he says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. See, while David was hiding, thinking everything was good, he was not passionate for the Lord. He did not have zeal for the Lord. He did not have excitement in his life because he was in broken fellowship with God and the Holy Spirit. And he even says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, I don't believe the Holy Spirit was taken and we can go into all types of theological gymnastics on, well, the Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament and it, did, and it didn't indwell. There's some examples where he did indwell people, right? Now, we can go back and research that another time. Um, whether the Holy Spirit was indwelling David or just upon David, I mean, it's we can argue about it, but he did not feel the presence of God and he did not have joy over God's salvation because he ignored steamrolled and insulted the Holy Spirit, right? But when conviction came, the response was against you and only you have I sinned. And he was convicted. And saints, that's what conviction does. It gives you, and there's no escape that you have to turn back to God. That is the only way. Amen. Amen? That's the only way. Is when you're convicted, you don't run away. You run to the Lord. And I think of Joseph, same thing, right? Potter's wife. You have to imagine Joseph every day. She came every day, the Bible says. And, and Joseph had to fight that temptation every day. And he finally says, I'm out, I'm running, I'm gone. But he says this, how can I sin and do this wickedness before my God? The conviction, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. I enjoy my fellowship with God too much to risk it. Right? Are y'all with me? Okay. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's got to come a point where we mature in our walks with the Lord, where we say broken fellowship, not worth it. It's just not worth it. I can't go on feeling like I'm not saved, even though I know I am. Why? Because that's broken fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I know I love Jesus, but I don't feel his presence. Why? There's sin, ongoing sin in your life. You have insulted the spirit of grace. We have trashed his living place. That's our body, what you watch, what you listen to, right? And then now I don't feel the joy of his salvation. So when he says convicting them of righteousness and judgment, yes, in one sense, he's speaking to the outside world. But in another sense for the believer, you and I, it's our fellowship. It's broken. That's why it's mundane. That's why it's dry, right? We don't have the intimacy like in a marriage, Right? I knew early on when I got married, I knew when my wife was mad at me, okay? Number one telling, women, silent. You're in trouble. Men, if women go silent, you're in trouble, okay? That's how you know. After they say it a few times and then finally, you know, you think you're good, you're not good, right? And the Holy Spirit is not a woman, but much like that, will go silent. And then you don't hear anymore because you've ignored the spirit of grace. You've ignored the Holy Ghost. And now you're operating on your own power. And guess what? We're just like David. We're going to need for him to restore the joy of our salvation. 
so that when we serve God, we're excited about it, right? We're not, oh, put the chairs, come read the Bible, right? No, we're excited about it. It's the word of God. There's life in these lines. This is good stuff. Thursday night, we're here. We could be at home watching online. Nothing against y'all watching online. But you could, there's so many other things you can do. But the joy of the Holy Spirit, this is exciting. This is, I'm passionate about this. I love this. That is the Holy Spirit. But that was of conviction. And so the third point, the Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us into all truth. For those of you who take notes, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says this, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Saints, it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to know Jesus more passionately, more intimately, and reveals to us the deep things of Jesus that no one else can know other than those that spend time at Jesus' feet, Right? And so verse 12 reads this. He says, I still have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. The reason why they can't bear them now is one, their, their hearts are filled with sorrow about what's to come, right? But two, they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. For someone who's not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, the things of God are hard to understand, right? You remember in John 6, Jesus said a tough saying, Eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no life. Oh, they said, oh, no, no, no. Paraphrase. That's, that's a hard saying. Who can receive it? They say, I'm out. And they left. Why? Because the Bible tells that the natural person cannot receive the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. They're foolishness to those who don't have the spirit. They're foolishness to those who are not walking in the spirit. And if you're not walking in the spirit, the things of God are going to be impossible to understand. One of my Favorite phrase of Jesus, ready? Those who have ears, let them hear. It's only by the Holy Spirit. You guys are still with me, that's good. Amen. So he says, you can't bear them now. You can't handle these things yet. Holy Spirit, they would need to understand it. But he says, verse 13, however, when he, pronouns, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' spokesman. He speaks on behalf of Jesus. And remember, Jesus said, everything I get, I get from the Father. Now, he said, everything the Spirit gets, he gets from me. I love the triunity of the Trinity. They all point to one another, honoring and glorifying each other. Saints, that's what the body of Christ should be. Everyone using the gifts, from the Holy Spirit, no pun intended, from the Holy Spirit to what? Build each other up and strengthen each other and complement one another, not compete against one another. That is the unity of the Godhead. Amen? That's what should be seen in the body of Christ. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit's gonna be my personal spokesman. He's gonna be in my place all over where every believer is, and the Holy Spirit's going to enable us to hear Jesus's words clearly. So saints, hear this. When the enemy comes, because there's more than one voice, right? The Bible says there is a spirit of error. And so when those voices come in and it's telling you you're, you're no good, you're not, you're not worth God's love, right? Or you really don't have a purpose in life, 
right? Or your horrible son or daughter or husband or grandfather, whatever position or title you're in, right? The Holy Spirit will allow you to hear Jesus' words as you hold every thought captive, the Bible tells us, right? To be able to filter out what is of God and what is not of God, okay? Your mind is a battlefield, right? And there's many voices and influences that are now in our culture. All the social media platforms, all the things we watch and listen to, all those things are not good and they're not edifying for you. And I promise you this, do not be deceived, Paul says. Bad company corrupts morals, not just physical company. Things you listen to, it's bad company. Things you're entertained by, it's bad company. Don't be deceived. One of my favorite Proverbs, can a man set fire to his pants and not be burned? The answer is no, and don't try it, right? Because you don't test the Lord thy God. The Bible says that the eye is a lamp to the soul, right? We're supposed to guard our hearts and guard our minds. But many of us flirt around and entertain with the things that are simply going to lead us astray and cause us to be in broken fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And then our cry is, restore unto me the joy of your Holy Spirit, because I don't feel it. I don't feel his physical presence, right? And sadly, many of us fall into that. And Jesus is saying, no, the Holy Spirit's gonna help you discern, is it of God or is it of Satan? Because Satan speaks too, remember? And his main goal, kill, steal, and destroy. And most importantly, did God really say that? Well, how do you know? Because the Holy Spirit told me, that's why. Satan acts, they said, and the Holy Spirit said, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. How did they know? Because they had fellowship with the Holy Spirit. They didn't make that stuff up. They didn't make it up. And their testimony says they didn't make it up. They said they could not refuse that these men had been with Jesus. Why? Because the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Saints, the Holy Spirit will guide us. He will give us what I like to call our marching orders. But honestly, how many times do we go out before we get the orders? Right? How many times do we make decisions and we don't consult with the Holy Spirit? I don't know how many people I talk to and I counsel and they're like, oh no, I've already made up my decision. This is what I'm going to do. I'm like, okay. Did you pray about it? I don't need to pray about it. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. Sorry, you do need to pray about it. Why? Because you don't have all the answers. And the Holy Spirit is a spirit of wisdom, not you, not me, right? And so we need to be able to discern which voice is from God. And Jesus is saying, he's not going to speak on his own authority. He's going to speak on my authority. He's my spokesperson in your life. You don't have to wait in line. You don't got to climb a mountain, right? You can just simply ask in faith and he will give you the direction. Here's what I found. If I don't seek him early in the morning, I rarely find him throughout the day. Then something else comes and then something else comes and then something else comes. I was going to read and then I was and then I was and then I wasn't and now I'm at the end of the night. And now I got the leftovers, Right? I encourage you guys, seek him early in the morning when you wake up, right? David says, early in the morning will I seek you. Morning, noon, and evening will I seek you. That is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Sadly, many of us have fallen prey to what I call the barrenness of busyness. We get so busy. I talk to teenagers and I say, yeah, have you guys been in youth group training? Nah, man, could I have this, 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 and this, and this? Do you think God wants you to go maybe? But I got work. I got that. Working's good, right? And I just gave him a story from when I first started working with uh, foster care about 13 years ago. And my job, I worked on Sundays. 
And I just remember saying, like, I can't even go to church. So I just said, why don't I just try it? I went to my boss and I said, hey, is there any way I can just come in later? I'm going to go to church at 8 o'clock with my family. I'm going to come in later. Is there any way that that will be okay? She said, yeah, sure, no problem. Just like that. You have not because you ask not, right? And we sit here dreading all of it. I can't, I have to work. Well, did you even ask? Do you think that maybe God wants you to be in church on Sunday? Just maybe? So you think maybe that if you ask in his name, right, in the power of his spirit, Lord, make a way, that maybe he'll do what he said he's going to do and make a way? Right? Amen, church? Okay? But we have not because we ask not. Don't fall to the barrenness of busyness. And last point, verses 14 and 15, we'll go this quickly. He will always point us. Listen, always, 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 always. And I rarely say always, but I'm saying it now. He will always point us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Always. Here's what he says. However, when the spirit of truth, oh no, I just read that, sorry. Verse 14 says this, and he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he will make of mine and declare it to you. So one thing we know that if, if someone is saying, oh no, the Holy Spirit led me to do it, and it's prideful, and it's pointing people away from Jesus, and it's not magnifying Christ, and it's not exalting Jesus, we know it's not of the Holy Spirit, right? We know that. If it's a man-centered, I often listen, if someone preaches and they don't mention Jesus not once, I'm out. See you, not the church for me, right? That's not the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit will always glorify, exalt, adore, magnify, and uplift the name of Jesus. Jesus is saying, this is one of the ways you'll know it's of me. It will glorify me. It will not take your attention off of me. Right? So, so if you have like a boyfriend, girlfriend, and you're distracted, not from God, right? If you have a job, you say it's from the Lord, but you're distracted, not from the Lord, right? It's always going to point and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ every time. And so saints, I encourage you, the Holy Spirit's always going to lead you to exalt Jesus, adore Jesus, worship Jesus, speak of Jesus, and obey Jesus. And as I said earlier, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a person, you got two options, speak or die, right? I can't help but to speak of the things which I know and the things which I have seen. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's gonna go away. The Holy Spirit is gonna come. They need to know who the Holy Spirit is. We need to know who the Holy Spirit is. Now there's just no way I can do an exhaustive study on the Holy Spirit in an hour, right? And we can probably teach and talk about it for months and years to come. But I think it's so important for us to understand when you feel dry, mundane, ritualistic, exhausted, right? It's mostly because we've been trying to do it on our own might, our own strength, and our own power. And we may be in broken fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We may have grieved the Holy Spirit. You may have insulted the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just sensitive, hypersensitive, Right? You talk to someone down, Holy Spirit is grieved, right? You think of a thought, the Holy Spirit is grieved. When you keep short accounts, the Holy Spirit will let you know, hey, that wasn't really God honoring. All right, amen, you're right, I repent. Cool, I'm, I'm good, I'm back in good graces. But the longer it takes for you to repent, 
the longer you'll be in broken fellowship, right? And I, and I know we all have experienced it. I know I'm not the only one, right? But my heart is to encourage you guys tonight with this information is that the Bible tells us in James that the spirit yearns jealousy for our affection, right? Is that God wants to fellowship with us. He gave us the Holy Spirit for that very purpose and to enable us to live transformed lives here on earth until we're with Jesus in heaven and we see him face to face. So in review, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is Jesus' personal replacement here on earth in our lives, the physical presence of God. I don't have to wait in line. I don't have to get through the crowds. I don't have to climb a mountain. Jesus is right here in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings conviction over our need for Jesus and over sin. Conviction means we're convinced and accused of sin. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us. The Holy Spirit is the best teacher in the universe, saints, right? And he uses, and he uses people, don't get me wrong, but there isn't anything that someone can teach you that the Holy Spirit can't. Does that make sense? And lastly, the Holy Spirit will always, and I rarely say always, but I say in this case, will always, always, always point us to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just thank you that you are who you say you are. We thank you for your redemptive plan at the beginning of creation, Lord, that you sent your son and your son sent us the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray, now if there's anyone in here who is in broken fellowship, who doesn't know you, who does not have your Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would convict them, Lord, that you would bring them to the brink of your salvation, that they may know you, the one true God, and your son whom you have sent. And I pray if there's anyone hurting in here, Lord, that you would comfort them, that you would restore unto them the joy of your salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us as orphans, but you have come to us in the person and in the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you are the reason. You're the reason why we sing. You're the reason why we worship. You're the reason why we live, why we move, and why we have our being. And Lord, to you be the glory. To you be the honor. You're the King eternal, immortal, almighty, the one true God. We thank you, Lord, that you who keeps us from stumbling. And one day you're going to present us faultless before the throne of glory and grace. In your holy and precious name we pray. And the saints said...